0: Please join me in a word of prayer. Father, this morning, we delight to be in your house. We delight to be with your people, but mostly we delight to be in your presence. And so this morning, Father, we pray that you would open our ears and that our hearts would incline towards your word, that you would have your way in our lives. And that your will would be done this morning, here in Goldman, here in each life. Thank you that you are a faithful God. Amen. Well, if you looked at the insert, you'll notice that the title of my sermon is Joy and Prayer. I thought that would be a really good topic, seeing as how this is the... Third Sunday of Advent, which is the joy candle, and since we are talking about prayer, I thought that would be good to go together. However, as I looked at the scriptures, unless I was either blinded to some of them that are obvious, I don't find much that talks about joy in prayer in the same breath. So perhaps this morning is going to be more a sermon on joy. As I studied, two things became very apparent to me. The first, I already told you, I didn't see many scriptures that talked about joy and prayer, and you might say, well, why didn't you change your title? I'm just bullheaded. Uh, the second is that it is so obvious from scripture that joy comes from nothing else than having our names written in the book of life. So, we're going to study joy this morning and where it fits. We're going to talk about how it, how it relates to prayer. So, let's get started. This is the third Sunday of Advent, and it's on some places called Gadet Sunday. And Gadet is translated from Latin, and it means to rejoice. And we know that the Advent season is a season of waiting. And today we are called to be joyful as we await for the second coming of Jesus Christ. The third candle is lit on this day, along with the first two. And it's called the shepherd's candle, also the joy candle. But it's called the shepherd's candle, reminding us that God sent the angels to proclaim his arrival to common man, and that he still uses ordinary people today to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. We we all know that it's easier to praise God when life is good than when life is difficult. Well, at least I know that. And too often, we see ourselves having it much harder remembering God during the good seasons of life as compared to the difficult seasons of life. And honestly, this realization should make us a little bit sad because it ought not to be so. God is my very best friend. He should be the very first person I run to when I have good things to celebrate, just as he is the very first person I go to when I have a need in my life. In good times and bad, God's character and provision for us means that we can have joy no matter what the circumstances we find ourselves in. As being a teacher, I always like to look up definitions, and what I found the biblical definition of joy as is a feeling of good pleasure and happiness that is dependent on who Jesus is rather than on who we are or on what is happening in our lives. Joy comes from the Holy Spirit, abiding in God's presence, in hope, in God's word. And without biblical joy, the only thing we are left with is our circumstances to find happiness and and contentment and joy in. This would not have been a good year for relying on circumstances. We need a joy that we can hold on to no matter what is going on in our lives. A joy that is always accessible to us. And that joy is found nowhere else. In a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if you would turn with me to John 15:5, Jesus is saying, reading, praying, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me, you can do nothing. Have you ever wondered what that word abide means? I think we all kind of think we know. When we abide with one another, we live together. It's to live, continue, and remain in each other's presence. And so to abide in Christ is to live in Christ. I believe that to abide in Christ daily requires dependence on the Holy Spirit, in which we do three things. The first thing is we walk by faith. That is, we preach the gospel to ourselves. I think too often we, we get involved with life and serving Jesus and, and serving the church and, and serving our families and doing what God told us to do. And we know that we're saved, but we forget what that means. What that means to ourselves. And so we need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. I am a son of God. I am born again. I am loved by the Father, the God who created everything. I was thinking about this as we were praying this morning. Did God send his son to die for the fallen angels? No. That God sent his son to die for the fallen animals that he created before he created man. I don't think so. That's not what John 3.16 says. God only sent his only begotten son to suffer and die for you and me. Not Not for the angels, but for us. Because he chose to love us so much. Do I think God doesn't love the angels? Well, I think he does. But we have a special relationship with God, we are called to be his bride. The second thing I think we need to do by the power of the Holy Spirit every day is to spend focused time. Spend focused time on our relationship with Jesus. How do our marriages fail when we don't spend time building them, focused time with one another? What happens to our children when we don't spend focused time on them, especially fathers, but, even, but also mothers? I say especially fathers because the Bible addresses that directly. The relationship doesn't last. Rebellion grows and builds. And it's the same thing with our relationship with Jesus Christ we need to spend focused time with him building that relationship and then the third thing that we need we should that i think we should do daily through the power of the holy spirit is engage in intentional actions such as reading the scripture daily such as praying daily such as living in community with god's Children, daily. And fighting sin, daily. All right, so those are things we should do, but how do we abide in Christ then? Well, first of all, it's a work of grace. You know what that means? That means God's riches at Christ's expense. It means that it's not something I'm going to make myself do, I'm not going to make myself abide in Christ. It's a work of his grace just as salvation is a work of God's grace. There's nothing I did to deserve the forgiveness of my sins. God did it all. And there's nothing that I can do to abide in his presence except by his grace. If I try to force myself to live in God's presence, guess what? The law says, I will fail. Paul said it. That which I want to do, I don't. But that which the Holy Spirit inspires me to do because I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus, that is what I do. So, by this work of grace, we abide in His Word because His Word is Him. John says, That God sent the word and that word was his son. So when I abide in the word, I abide in Christ. I grow closer to know him better. And then I also have to allow his word to abide in me. I think the biggest struggle we have in life is getting what's up here into here. The Bible talks about that, talks about transforming our minds, transforming this to match with what's in here. Hmm, Maybe the struggle isn't from here to here, maybe it's from here to there. And then to abide in worship and prayer. Who else has the privilege of sitting down with the most powerful, most loving Creature in ever. Sit at his feet, sit on his lap, tell him how much we love him, feel how much he loves us, tell him our problems, and have him say, It's okay, Wayne, it's going to be okay, I got you. What a privilege! and fellowshipping with other believers. You know, the reason we're a believer, or the result of being a believer, Christ lives in you, and Christ lives in me. And if I want to get to know Jesus better, if I want to serve Jesus better, I can serve him in you, and you can serve him in me, and we can rejoice together, and we can sharpen each other's faith. What a joy. And we can actively serve Christ. You know, a lot of good things happen in my life. But I have never been more joyous than when I have led somebody to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I can remember I can remember being so sick with the flu. I wanted to be in bed, but instead I'm witnessing to a Jehovah witness that knocked at our door. And by the time I got done witnessing, I wasn't sick anymore. I felt great because I was actively serving Christ. And finally, obeying God. You know, obeying God comes down to a very simple thing. Who knows better, me or God? I know what my old man wants, but is that what's best for everybody, including me? Or is what God wants best? And so that struggle that Paul talks about that goes on in the mind, it's really a struggle of, really, who knows best? And that answer is easy to answer, isn't Or That question is easy to answer. Of course God knows best. I know so much of the time, I think I know better. But you know what? I've never been able to prove that. I can't think of one time where my will was better than God's will. Or my way was better than God's way. Not a single time did it turn out better doing it my way. Abiding in Jesus means being rooted or rooting his word in my heart creating intimacy with him through worship, surrounding myself with others who love him, and allowing him to work in and through my life and obeying him. If I read a little further in John chapter 15 and verse 11, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. You may have been thinking, Wayne, what does abiding with Christ have to do with the topic of joy in prayer. It's because abiding in Christ is where we find joy. That's why Jesus told us to abide in him, so that our joy may be full. It's not dependent on circumstances. It's not dependent on anything but the fact that we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 says, Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Now I could comment on that, but hold that thought while I read Psalm 100. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful and bless his name. For the Lord God is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endures to all generations. Psalm 100 teaches that when we come into the throne of grace, when we come into God's presence, there will be shouting. There will be thankfulness, gratitude. (coughs) There will be praise. because in his presence is joy evermore. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When we are in God's presence, boldly entering the throne room by prayer, there is fullness of joy. It doesn't matter what's going on around you. When you come into God's presence, into that sanctuary of his throne room, when he spreads his wings around you and comforts you and reminds you that he is there for you, You are not alone in the situation. He knows and feels everything that you feel. He's felt it. But he has pledged to work all things together for your good. And I, I I could extend this sermon for hours, telling you all the trials that I've gone through, but God was good. God work those situations, those circumstances together for my good sorry. Sometimes you um, sometimes uh, papers better than technology. All right. <clears throat> so when we are in God's presence, boldly entering through the throne room by prayer, there is a fullness of joy. And why? John, in 1 John five fourteen and 15 says, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Uh Now now there's joy. I don't care what's going on around you. When you take it to God, when you come into his throne room with praise and thanksgiving, and you tell him about what's going on, he already knew it, right? Right? But it's good for us. We always like to tell others our problems, don't we? Well, the best person to tell is is God. And so we tell him our problems. And he says, I've got the solution. There should be joy. I mean, here, there's a disaster looming, and God says, No problem. I'll pluck you right out of that disaster. I'll make it okay. I'll make it better than okay. There should be joy. Even if I don't have the answer yet, even if the looming is still out there, God said it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. I should be rejoicing because I know I have what I have asked of him. Wow. And, and so, could I suggest maybe that prayer isn't complete until you come into the place where joy just overwhelms you? Because you know you have that which you've asked of Him? Thank you, babe. Even prayers of lament. God, I messed this up terrible. I don't know what to do. Please forgive me. Even prayers of lament. If we know that God has hurt us and we have received what we've asked of him, forgiveness, there should be joy. We go in in tears of sadness. We come out with tears of joy. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. The angels are, are speaking to the shepherds. And we, are, we have lit the shepherd's candle today. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring good tidings of great joy. To which, uh, which will be for all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a savior, a rescuer, someone who's going to make it all okay, who is called Christ the Lord. Tidings of great joy for all people. Because Jesus came to change our history from one of defeat to one of victory. You know, life might be difficult right now for you, but how can you read that and not rejoice? Because Jesus came. He's coming again. And he left us great and precious promises by which we can abide in him through this life. Keeping our focus on Jesus and who we are in Christ and God's faithfulness will lead us not only to a place of contentment, but to a place of joy. In James chapter 1, verse 2, James says, Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I think James must have been drinking too much of the grape juice. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. I don't know about you. I'm not much for patience. I don't like to wait for anything. And you know what I like even less is the process by which we have to go through to gain patience. I'm going to have surgery on my knee in a few weeks. And I have to tell you, I'm looking forward to it. Well, sort of. I'm looking forward to what's going to happen after the surgery. I'm not looking forward to all the hassle going into the surgery. I don't like the process by which I'm going to get my knee fixed. But you know what? That process is necessary for me to come out better on the other side. And so it's true. With trials and tribulations that produce patience, I don't like the process, but I do like the result. It's been a difficult year for many. I've seen too many people that I love and respect die this year. From a worldly point of view, I have reason to be sad and discouraged. When I look at what's happening in this nation, when I look at what's happening to God's church, when I look at what's happening to the people I love around me, I, I could be discouraged. I could be sad. But I do know a few things. First of all, my thoughts are not God's thoughts, praise God. And Secondly, God knows what he's doing much better than I do. We've already proven that. I don't understand why God permits what he does. But I would be without hope if I don't believe with Paul that he will work all things together for my good. Therefore, any response on my part to the, the, the sorrows and the trials of this year, any response other than joy is inappropriate. And especially because I'm looking at the process <coughs> instead of the result. I don't know the result yet, but I know it's going to be good. I promised it would. How can I not be joyful knowing that God is on my side? Example, Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 34. It's about Paul and Silas. You all know the story. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, What must I do to be saved? You know, that kind of reminds me, it's off the subject, but it kind of reminds me of witnessing. I was telling somebody the other day, there's something I don't like about witnessing. It's the same thing I didn't like about sales when I was in it. And that is you get told no so much of the time. But you know, How did this sailor know, or this jailer know, to fall down at Peter's feet and say, Lord, or sirs, what must I do to be saved? He had heard the message of Jesus Christ before. Maybe he had heard it through Paul and Silas singing, although he was asleep, so I don't know if that was the case. But he had to have heard the message before, and he comes in and, what must I do to be saved? You see, there are those who are plant, there are those who water, and there are those who harvest. And that no that we receive when we're trying to tell somebody how much God loves them, that's not a no. That's a, I'm not ready yet. But we keep caring for and loving and demonstrating Jesus. And something happens in their lives and they come and they say, God, what must I do to be saved? So don't stop, don't get discouraged witnessing to others, telling them about how good Jesus is. Anyhow, I digress, and I'm sorry, but I thought that was important. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when they had brought them into the house, he set food before them and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Notice something. The circumstances haven't changed for this jailer. Paul and Silas are at his house. They're not in prison where they belong, in jail where they belong. Just a few hours earlier, the jailer was ready to thrust himself down on his own sword because... He was in deep trouble. He's in no less deep trouble right now, but he has received Jesus Christ as his Lord and his Savior. And what does it say? He rejoiced. He was full of joy. Because joy comes from having your book written in the Lamb's book of life, in heaven's book. Not by your circumstances, good or bad. (laughs) Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. As I said, sometimes I don't like the processes we have to go through. And sometimes I do not understand God's will at all. But one thing I do, I trust God. I trust Him with my life. I trust Him with my eternity. I trust Him with my family. The last couple of years, while not unique in history, have been pretty unique to our lifetime. <clears throat> and some of us have had a very challenging year in 2021. And I find it insightful. As to how God's way always seems better than our way. I want to tell you a story. true story about a friend of mine. He was a soldier. A lifetime career soldier. And he and I had, we were going for a walk down the road and talking. And I, would, I told him about Jesus Christ. How much God loved him. And how Jesus had transformed my life. And he said to me, Wayne... I am responsible for the death of over 2,000 of the enemy. Personally responsible for their death. I don't know how God can forgive that. He and I continued our friendship and we would have dinner every now and then, usually once every month or two. And we would talk about religion and Christianity and Relationships, and he never once hinted that he had received Jesus as his Savior. A couple months ago, he came down with COVID, and I prayed that God would heal him of the COVID, but that did not happen. He died. But I was amazed when at the funeral his pastor said I have no doubt that William had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. What joy flooded my heart. And of course, not joy that he was gone. But joy that he was no longer suffering. Joy that he was in a better place, not a worse place. Joy that God was able to do what I was unable to do. Joy, because William's name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, the Book of Heaven. Worship team, please come. <clears throat> Christ endured his suffering by looking past the pain to the final result of his suffering, our salvation. You probably heard the saying, familiarity breeds contempt. Well, I don't believe that's true. However, I do believe that many times familiarity forgets us, take, causes us to take for granted how much somebody loves us to take for granted the value of our relationship with them. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then you have every reason to exude joy, even in the hard times, because nothing can separate us from the love of God or from the reward that God has for those whose names are written in his book. So why don't I feel joy all the time? Well, I believe it's because I forget who I am in Christ and what Jesus has done for me. My daughter Lydia co-teaches a class on worship here at Christian Outreach School along with uh, uh, Amy Kreuter. And last week in their class, they wanted to try expressive worship. Can you imagine getting 15-year-olds to do something they are not that's not in their comfort zone? I think it went fairly well. But after the class, I'd suggested to her that perhaps if, you, if, if, if they knew that the Holy Spirit will whisper something to you in worship, to kneel to raise your hands, to jump up and down, to dance before the Lord, to prostrate yourself. That the Holy Spirit would whisper that in your heart, but guess what? Just like in speaking in tongues, just like the Holy Spirit will give you the word to say or words to say, the language, he won't move your lips for you. He will not move your tongue for you. Just as he may Tell us in worship to do something that's out of our comfort zone. Sorry. Huh? I can use the mic. All right, thanks. Uh, um, For us to worship, to do something that's out of our comfort zone, we have to choose to do it. And you know sometimes I find blessing and sometimes nothing happens. I think when nothing happens either I misheard or I really didn't put my heart into doing what God what the Holy Spirit told me to do. <laughs> Likewise joy can lie dormant in me in my heart and the Holy Spirit will not force me to rejoice. But you know what I discovered? When I choose to do it, when I choose to shout to Lord, to sing praise, to jump up and down, I I have a hard time dancing right now, but um, when I express my gratitude to God for my name being written in his book and his undeserved goodness and love towards me, the joy of the Lord becomes my strength and it wells up within me something about the physical. You know, in 2nd Samuel chapter 6 verses 12 through 15, and we're not going to pull it up or, or read it, but it's about David bringing the ark of the Lord. Thank you. It's about David bringing the ark of the Lord back into Jerusalem. And on the way, the oxen stumble and the cat and 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 the cart that the ark was on started to wobble. And Uzziah reached out to stabilize the ark and God got mad because Uzziah didn't obey. And he struck Uzziah dead right there, right alongside the ark. Well, you know, like so many times when those things happen, David got mad. He said, I'm not bringing this ark into the city. And so he left it at the home of obed idiom. And God blessed that house. <laughs> he blessed their socks off. David heard about it and said, well, that ought to be the city of Jerusalem. And so he goes back. They retrieve the ark. They take about six, space, six steps. And David offers sacrifices unto God. And when he gets done, he leads the processional. And the Bible says he danced before the Lord. You see, David had been mad. But David got right with God. The offerings, he got right with God. And then he had joy. And what did he do to express his joy? Hallelujah, thanks God. No, he danced before. The, and when it says he danced, he didn't dance a jig, I'm gonna tell you. He jumped up and down, he twirled around. I might have done somersaults, I'm not sure. But it was a very physical dance, so much so that his, I think it was his sister, Got mad at him. Huh? Wife. Thank you. His wife got mad at him. But isn't that how it works? We spend time abiding with God. We spend time remembering who God is and what he does for us And joy. Joy fills us. Nehemiah 10 says, Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And let me close with this. In Matthew 6, 18, Jesus says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. He's not talking about this building. He's talking about you, brothers and sisters. You are his church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Not only that, the world shall not prevail against you. Because God has your back, and he has promised to work together all those things for those who love him. So prayer that is a complete prayer should end in joy. But joy doesn't come as much from having what we want as it does from abiding in Christ and having a personal relationship with him. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we are grateful. Lord, we are joyful that you love us so much. That we are so precious to you. And that you have written our names in heaven's book. And what that means, God, is that we get to celebrate you and the joy that's in your presence forevermore. And so, Father, this morning we choose to rejoice because you are a good, good God.